Well, welcome to another Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line Show. Roger Marsh here, and uh, we've got some great stories to get into. An interesting, provocative book to discuss uh, later on this hour. Um, it, it involves uh, the idea that uh, Christianity's reputation is so bad we need a makeover, a new branding, if you will, for this thing. And we're going to get into it with a pastor from Dallas who uh, not only says it's important to do, but has some practical thoughts for us to do so. And we're also going to take a look at something called Universal Basic Income, UBI, and how one major city, uh, queuing everybody on uh, KLDC, uh, it was Denver who did this. 800 people who were living at the poverty level, many of them were homeless, um, wound up getting a universal basic income courtesy of a private grant that was coupled with some federal money or actually city money. And what happened to them is kind of remarkable. Don't be surprised if you don't see more of these UBIs showing up as campaign proposals, if not actually enacted during 2024, because apparently they are the best way to go. First, though, a public service announcement for everybody here in San Diego that, uh, you know, I have to be honest with you. When I saw the headline for this story, I was concerned because I thought to myself, what, what the heck? I'm all for, of course, taking care of nature. I think we have a, an issue for, of stewardship with that. I'm all for people who can uh, take care of animals and things like that. Again, look at Genesis 1, Genesis 2. I mean, we God has given mankind dominion over these things, and we need to take care of them. At the same time, though, I also remember living near Laguna Beach in, was it 1993? Remember the really horrible fires in Laguna Canyon? and how long it took for those fires to be put out. And you remember the reason why it took that long? If you've ever been to Main Beach and Laguna, you know there's a fire station literally right there, not on Pacific Coast Highway, but literally on the, main, on the way to the main drag. It would not have taken those firefighters any time at all to get in and fight the fires. But in irony of, of ironies, the Laguna Beach Fire Department there could not fight the fires locally. And the reason was there was a city ordinance. Now, got to be careful when people start talking about, well, we're going to change the laws and good laws make for good people and blah, 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 blah. Because the reality is that's not always true. This is a classic example. The uh, city of Laguna Beach was trying very hard to be very environmentally friendly. They were doing everything they could to protect the, wild, the wildlife, the natural preserve of the area, and also the uh, uh, the animal life that was down there too. We're talking about uh, birds and you know whatever animals were germane to that area. And so, in order to do that, a number of laws were passed that forbade. Is that the word I'm looking for? Forbade um, the firefighters to do anything that would put those. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Well, all of those creatures, if you were, (laughs) uh, in jeopardy. So here's the problem. You have a big old, uh, you know, swath of this type of stuff. And then you've got firefighters having to fight a real fire. Who wins? Well, you know who wins? (laughs) Yeah, you guessed it. The animals, the bugs. Here was this major fire happening in uh, Laguna Canyon. Here are the firefighters who are there and can do something about it. Except for the fact that there was a city ordinance that prevented them from driving on the land that was occupied by these endangered species. 
Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that <laughs> it was horrible. There were fire engine companies coming from all over the place. And if you're familiar with that area, you know what I'm talking about. They're coming from Pasadena. They're coming from Los Angeles, coming from Garden Grove, San Clemente. I mean, it was crazy to think that they had to drive that far and get fire companies from there, but the local firefighters were prevented from going up and fighting that fire. So fast forward to 2023, and here comes an ordinance from San Diego County officials where one of the most popular stretches of beach in all of San Diego and La Jolla Beach, basically it's the San Diego City Council voted unanimously to close the area, the beach, to the public. The reason for doing so is because the sea lion population is in jeopardy. And they are closing that part of the beach for seven years. Now, just as soon as you could say Jacob and Leah and Jacob and Rachel, Laban, what are you doing to me? Seven years. Uh, we've got to do a little analysis, balance, and clarity here. I mean, seriously. Here in the People's Republic of California, there is a little fish called the Delta Smelt. It has been on the endangered species list for years. Every year in, in Northern California, in particular, we flush hundreds of thousands, if not millions of gallons of rainwater into the ocean every year. Why? Because the Delta smelt population got down to 10 and someone convinced a bunch of legislators in the California Assembly or the California Senate, State Senate to pass a bill to protect the Delta smelt. Now, here's the craziest thing about this. We can't build reservoirs here in the People's Republic to capture that rainwater because the rainwater has to go down and flush into the ocean in hopes that it might pick up a Delta smelt or two. Last we heard, they were so endangered, they were down to 10 fish. That was at last count. But here's the real kicker. Do you know the last time anybody saw a Delta smelt fish? Me neither. It's been years but lawmakers have decided that it is more important to not preserve water, to not conserve it, to not put reservoirs in the state of California, to preserve a fish that, quite frankly, I'd never heard of, you'd never heard of, and for all we know, the last 10 were eaten and there are no more Delta smelt. Well, this is, I mean, you saw it at Laguna Beach. There was some kind of endangered bird or something and you couldn't bring your own. It's burning with fire. The, the home being burned up, the place where the birds would go being burned up. But the fire trucks that are literally at the base of that hill were forbidden by law from driving up in the hill and fighting the fire. Oh, boy. Delta smelt, California literally lets hundreds of thousands of gallons of water wash into the ocean every year because we have a law that says if you try to build a reservoir and try to store that water, you're denying it to the Delta smelt. Well, now you've got the city of San Diego and the city council saying we are closing La Jolla Beach for seven years because we want to protect the sea lions who are there. When I first heard this story, I thought this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Why on earth would people not be able to get to the beach? How do you close a section of beach and not mess it up for everybody else who's kind of going back and forth and up and down? Well, the answer is sea lions, but the reason actually does make a little more sense. 
By an 8 to nothing vote, the San Diego City Council has voted to amend the city code to protect sea lions from what they call invasive human visitors. And basically, they're preventing beach access to human beings, but not year-round, only during certain seasons. Basically, the main beach season, of course, in California is May through October. So starting next year, the beach will be closed May through October. They'll be doing that for seven years. Uh, by the way, also, they're not closing the beach permanently. After seven years, the city either has to reapply for a new amendment or they have to try to get a new coastal development permit or it just expires and they leave it back open again. Okay, so it's only the beach. There's a 150-yard closure uh, it, that basically pertains to uh, both, both Point La Jolla as well as Boomer Beach. 150 yards. But the beach itself is open, like the water and everything. If you're out surfing and the tide kind of takes you down or doing whatever, uh, you don't have to worry about the, uh, uh, the sea lion police coming out and trying to <laughs> shut you down. But this is the interesting part about this, though. So the beach itself is open. You can still park there. You just can't walk on the sand and the shore. And you know why? I thought, well, how are the sea lions being harmed? What's going on? I mean, are people throwing things at them? Are they uh, damaging them? No, you know what the biggest threat to the sea lion population on La Jolla Beach is? People who want to take selfies with the sea lions. Kid you not, <laughs> that's the reason why you'll see this headline at thebottomlineshow.com. Popular California beach to close for seven years to protect vulnerable sea lions. Yeah, so many people like to kill up where the sea lions are. Sometimes, you know, there's mating or there's birth and death and where they're, they're doing, they're living their lives during the summer season. And so many people come up and say, oh, let's get a picture. Look at the sea lion. They're so cute. They're kind of mean too, from what I understand. But nonetheless, um, humans are not allowed to interact with the sea lions at all year round. But the closing of the beach is seasonal. And apparently, uh, they may wind up just keeping it closed for all year round on the shore for the next seven years. But the water part of the beach is fine. The parking part of the beach is fine. And if you want to go down in that area, here's the simple trick. Don't take selfies with the sea lions. Okay. <laughs> now, I, the reason I bring this story up, on the other side of this break, Pastor Jeff Jones is going to join me. And uh, Pastor Jeff is the uh, uh, lead pastor at Chase Oaks Church in North Dallas, Texas. He takes a look at the church as a brand and has determined that over the course of the past several years, whether it be people who mess up the environment or people who take selfies with sea lions, Christians have given Christianity such a bad reputation that it really is very more and more difficult for people to define what Christianity actually entails. So on the other side of this break, we're going to talk with Pastor Jeff Jones about his brand new book on the subject. It's called Rebranding Christianity, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way. What does it mean to be a Christian in modern life? And maybe more importantly, what does it mean for people who see people who claim to be Christians 
when they see these Christians engaging in quote-unquote unchristian activity. We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a conversation that I think is fascinating because it's been a topic of conversation for a lot of people, and that is, what is the church? What does the Christian church look like? What does Christianity look like in the modern world, especially when we've gone through pandemics and and all sorts of cultural uprisings? And there's a brand new book out that I think answers this topic very well. As a matter of fact, it is just now out, uh, written in in cooperation with Jeff Jones and Dr. Dwight Jusen and Mike Hogan. And uh, it's a brand new book called Rebranding Christianity, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Joining me for a conversation here today is Jeff Jones, the lead pastor of Chase Oaks Church in North Dallas, uh, one church with multiple locations. He's a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary and the co-founder of the Center for Church-Based Training. And uh, he and his wife, Christy, have been married over 30 years. They have a couple of adult sons and uh, a couple of uh, daughters-in-law and a couple of granddaughters, too, who are probably the cutest grandkids you've ever seen. Isn't that right, Jeff Jones? Absolutely. Okay, welcome, Absolutely. To, the... <laughs> <got that> right. <laughs> welcome to the bottom line show today. I really appreciate your time. Um, well, let's thank get... you so much. And, and, be- and before we jump in, can I say happy 12th birthday? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I would say it's amazing. Yeah. You know, and now, now we're, it's like I, my producer and I were talking about it and she said, why did I keep thinking it was 13? I said, because 12 is that awkward stage that no one really wants to pay attention to, you know, so <laughs> uh, life will be a lot more interesting when we're a teenager, but right now we're just kind of on the, <laughs> right. on the, on the cusp of adolescence. You know, speaking of being wow. on the cusp, I get the sense that the American church in particular is on the cusp of something because there are a lot of people who have had a lot of preconceived notions about what it means to be a Christian. And over the past uh, five to 10 years in particular, but maybe in the last 20 or 30 years, most of those expectations have been blown out of the water. What led you to, what was the compulsion behind writing this brand new book about rebranding Christianity and the assumption that the world's most important brand has somehow lost its way? Yeah, you know, I'm a pastor of a large church in Dallas and just you know, seeing what is happening in our culture in terms of the perception of Christianity is it's happening on my watch. And so I, I felt, well, I, I can't just watch this, right? And we've got to, we've got to do something about that. Because when you look at the perception of Christianity and the engagement in Christianity, especially the emerging generations, like my mm-hmm. kids' age as young right. adults and so on, it's not going the right direction. And, uh, and in my lifetime, you know, Christianity has gone from being admired to tolerated to canceled, and now increasingly seen as repulsive. Hmm. And, you know, what's happened in that? And I don't think it's just unfair media, even though that's going to happen. Um, I, I think it's something deeper that, that we need to look at and, and get back to. I've used this quote from Henry Cloud, uh, the co-author of the Boundaries series, uh, often and with great passion just because I love the, uh, the practicality of it. He says, people have a tendency to focus more on problems than on patterns. And if it's a problem situation, then you're going to try to solve the problem. But if it's a pattern, then that's going to show you where the problem came from. And I think one of the things I appreciate about your book, Jeff Jones, the book Rebranding Christianity, is it's helping a lot of people to look and say, okay, wait a minute. Okay, this isn't a question of, well, you're on this side and I'm on that side and they're in the middle somewhere and we're all fighting with each other and somebody has to be the winner, but rather taking a step back and saying, okay, well, if we look at our faith, if we look at the church as a brand and we realize there are brands all around us and most people think in terms of the quality and the reliability and whatever of a brand, 
what does the Jesus brand really entail? How did you uh, determine that factor? I mean, we, we can look at it scripturally, but in terms sure. of the way we are as consumers, how did you, how were you, were you able to kind of quantify it that way? Yeah, well, you know, when we talk about rebranding Christianity, you know, you can think that what I'm talking about is, oh, we need to go out and hire some consultants and come up right. with a new brand because the brand we've had for 2,000 years is just no longer works for this generation. Right. And that's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, what I'm saying is, hey, let's, let's go back to the brand as given to us by the founder, Jesus, 2,000 years ago. And, and we've drifted from that, just in the ways that you've talked about just a few minutes ago. You know, we've, we've drifted away from that brand and are not known for what Jesus said we should be known for. And so it's not actually ambiguous. You know, he, he wasn't unclear. Uh, he told us the brand. You know, and you, and you can see it in different, you know, you can, you can see it in the Sermon on the Mount. You can see it in what's called the Great Commandment when he's asked to summarize the law. Uh, but for me, it's, it's when he's with his disciples on the Last Supper mm-hmm. where he says, this is how you'll be known. He said, you know, he said, a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you should love one another. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and this is the way the world will know you're my followers. If you love one another as I've loved you, mm-hmm. which is a radical kind of love. It's not just loving like I love, it's loving like Jesus loved. Right. Which right. is, you know, pretty crazy kind of love. So uh, we're known as the opposite of that outside of ourselves. And so I, I, what do we do with that? And so that's, that's really where it comes from. Jeff Jones is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Rebranding Christianity, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I love that part of John 13, where you know, I, I, could just, I can almost hear Jesus say, if people, people are going to look at you guys, and if they see you from your different backgrounds and your different you know, personal bents, <laughs> the things you like to do and the things you like to handle, if they see you loving each other, they're going to know that this love comes from somewhere else because it couldn't possibly come from you guys. I mean, there's just, there's no way. And, I, and I, that's kind of yeah. the way I interpret that. That's kind of the Roger Amplified version of John 13, 30, yeah, 34, 35. If you guys could, it's, it's like Jeff Foxworthy says, you know, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Well, anybody could figure that out, you know, but, but this, it's, it's so simple, but it's not easy for us to do. And there were some things that, that have happened in the culture recently. I mean, you have a chapter in this book called The COVID Accelerator. Uh, talk about what you mean by that. There were a lot of things going on in the culture, a lot of things happening within the church, and it kind of maybe pulled back the curtain to where we would just say, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, but too late. People had already seen it. Yeah. You know, I think I look at COVID as a, the COVID time period as a huge test just to say, hey, where, where are we at in American Christianity? What's animating American Christianity? Like, I don't think it caused something. I think it revealed something. Mm, like, kind of like when, point. you know, like with the droughts, you know, like mead and, you know, the water recedes and you see these people in barrels, or, you know. And, <laughs> and so what, you know, when that happened, you know, so you had this perfect storm of the racial tensions that came up, uh, the pandemic itself, and how would Christians respond to that? Um as well as a very contentious presidential election mm-hmm. in 2020. And those three things together were a real tell for people who had suspicions about the church, who were skeptical about the church, but 
you know, we don't have to guess. I mean, the polls all go, all go the wrong way, especially with emerging generations. What they saw out of the church in COVID went from skeptical to repulsive. Hmm. And we can talk about the specifics of that. But, um, I mean, even the, even the pandemic itself, you know, was terrible, right? But, but from a the gospel perspective is actually maybe the biggest opportunity in my lifetime, for sure, for the church to show itself as the most loving group of people on the planet. Um, who love like Jesus loved. Yeah. And, and certainly, you know, generalization is always hard to do. Like Mark Twain said, you know, all generalizations are wrong, including this one. <laughs> so, you know, you have to be careful, right? There's yeah, all yeah. kinds of good things that happen. But, by and large, what got attention and what people saw was Christians trying to make the pandemic about their own rights and protecting their religious freedoms. And, you know, you can't tell us not to meet our largest gatherings. We're going to do that anyway. We're going to stand for truth. We're not going to be, we're not going to kowtow to the government and, and that kind of thing. And which I understand there's a priority of, of my rights is, I mean, it's a, it's not a bad priority. But that's not the priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not what, and so, you know, what we are the people who lay down our lives for the sake of the other. We lay down our rights for the sake of the other. That's, that's what animates us. And, and if by and large, that's what people had seen, which over church history, that's what's happened in pandemics. It's every time until COVID, you go through church history, every time there's a massive camp pandemic, there's huge Christian growth after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we experienced uh, shrinkage, not growth, um, just because we could have done better. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting observations, and as they say, the numbers don't lie. Uh, great observations and insight from Pastor Jeff Jones today here on The Bottom Line. Brand new book is called Rebranding Christianity, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. There have to be some solutions. We could probably spend several weeks just talking about Christians behaving badly. <laughs> well, let's get into some of the yeah. solutions to this issue, yeah. uh, understanding that. We'll do that on the other side of this break as The Bottom Line continues. When you were in an accident, Stephanie Cover of Cover Law is the only personal injury attorney you need. Stephanie talks to victims all the time who wish they would have signed with her first. Unfortunately, once you've signed a retainer with a different attorney, Stephanie can't represent you. So it's crucial to have Stephanie's number handy now and make the smart call the first time. Stephanie is the right attorney to represent your personal injury claim, specifically because she worked for insurance companies for 20 years, so she knows the best questions to ask and when. Stephanie knows when things don't sound accurate, and she knows when she's being deceived. Stephanie is a Christian, and telling the truth is vital, so she holds professionals to that standard, too. Stephanie's unique blend of skill, expertise, and compassion get you real results. Bookmark Stephanie's website now so you don't have regrets and pass it on to your friends and relatives who will need it. Just go to kbrightradio.com slash cover today to set up a free consultation. That's kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Pastor Jeff Jones is my guest. And during this half hour, we're talking about his brand new book called Rebranding Christianity, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we do have a copy of the book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, a copy of the book, Rebranding Christianity, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way by Pastor Jeff Jones. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. One copy of this uh, book to give away. You know, it's interesting when you talk about our faith in Christ. We don't often think about the branding that we have, but think about John chapter 13, one, two of my favorite verses in all of scripture, John 13, 34 and 35, where Jesus said to his disciples, remember they've just had the, uh, the first communion as we call it, the last supper. Uh, Judas has gone to betray Jesus. It's Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane with his 11 disciples at that time. Uh, Peter hasn't denied him yet. And he says, look, I'm giving you a new command. Chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give you, Jesus says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you should love one another. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There has been so much infighting and backbiting in the body of Christ of late. Have you noticed that? And you know the thing that's saddest about that for yours truly is the fact that here we are, professing faith in Christ, offering people the hope and the joy of having your sins forgiven and getting to spend eternity uh, living the same life and peace that you have in this life. And yet so many people will look at the church and say, no, it's not for me. I tried it. It didn't work. There's too much hypocrisy. There's too much inconsistency. The problem when people try to get together and resolve our differences is that if we are based on us, then we're going to be those self-centered, finger-pointing, name-calling people. That's left to our own devices. That's what we do. But if the Spirit of God is guiding our thoughts and our minds and our hearts and our words and our actions, that's going to shock people. Jesus said no one, basically, he said, everyone will know that you are my disciples is a very fancy way of saying no one's going to believe this stuff when they see a zealot and a Roman sympathizer and a tax collector. And I mean, all you guys living together, living in harmony together, under one spirit of one mind, no one's going to believe it. Well, that's the radical love of the cross, and that's what we're discussing here today on the Bottom Line Show. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, pastor and author Jeff Jones continues our conversation on rebranding Christianity when the world's most important brand loses its way. We'll talk about that coming up next as the Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Jeff Jones is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're discussing a brand new book. Jeff is one of the co-authors of. It's called Rebranding Christianity, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way. It's a fascinating case study of just kind of being honest with ourselves about 
what the church has been perceived as here in, in the Western part of the world, the branding problem that is existed that has been made, well, been exacerbated during the COVID pandemic and how in a, an area where the church should have been a beacon of light and could have very easily been a beacon of light in terms of growth and attracting more people to her, uh, we find ourselves now in a situation where that, uh, that rapid decline of uh, churches is, uh, is, is continuing, uh, you know, kind of a, a missed opportunity. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. During the break, Jeff and I were talking about uh, an unlikely uh, example a company that you may not associate with Christianity unless you've worked in youth ministry a lot. Um, that has <laughs> is a good example. Like how I teased that one, Pastor Jeff, um, about how to find a solution. You have a case study in the book about one of the nation's largest pizza chains that really had to face some bad decisions that they had made, and they did so honestly. Talk about that, if you would. Yes, Domino's Pizza, and you know Domino's was known for under 30 minutes, right? And, right? and it grew rapidly with that. And yet they also became known for really bad pizza. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you get it fast, but it's not very good. Yeah. And, and their market share started to go way down because of that. And, and they got the feedback. And, and they decided, after getting feedback, to not just deny it, but take responsibility for it. And mm. so they, they did this ad campaign where they had real customers who just described their pizza honestly. He would say things like, Domino's pizza is worse than the cardboard box it comes in. Ooh. Things wow. like that. And, and yeah. they would just put it out there, right? And, uh, and, and, but then they said, you know what? But that's not who we want to be anymore. And so we've gone back to the drawing board and we want to be known for really great pizza. We don't believe that you have enough trust in us to buy it. So we'll give it to you. And if you remember, they gave away a bunch of pizza mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, um, and they, and they took the feedback they had and they chose a course of what I would call frank honesty of just saying, we're not who we want to be, but we're, we're going to change that. And if you don't trust us, we'll give it to you for free to try it. And, and well, they did. And, and now they actually are known for really good pizza. And they're talking about a turnaround story. Even they're in, in 2008, their stock price was about three dollars. Today it's over three hundred dollars, hmm. uh, which is pretty amazing, right? I wish we could yeah. go back, you know. And, yeah. and uh, but that that outpaced Apple, Amazon, Google. You know, just this incredible turnaround story. But it started with people who didn't they didn't get defensive. Instead, they took ownership, and and they were honest. And and what I found with non-believing people in my life who are disillusioned with church or Christianity or is that they can handle frank honesty of saying, you know, we're often just not who we're called to be. And uh, we're, we're not like Jesus and we want to be. And, uh, and, and we, we know we have issues and, and we're getting back on brand. And, and what I've found is that what, as I've given this book to people in my life who are not Christians or people who've walked away from church, they're actually the most energetic about it mm. because it's kind of like, Hey, we, we know you stink. We didn't know you knew you stink, you know, mm. yeah. And, yeah. And, and are willing to admit it and, oh. and to get back on track. And so, um, you know, I, I do think any problem starts with owning the problem, not denying it. And then you can move forward. Yes. 
That's great counsel from Pastor Jeff Jones today here on The Bottom Line, talking about Domino's Pizza, but and how they were able to recover from branding that just did not match the product at all. And the new book, Rebranded Christianity, gives us a lot of food for thought, especially as we consider the influence that the church has, the subtitle, When the World's Most Important Brand, because our brand really is, if we were to try to market this and, and create this on our own, uh, it, it is the most important brand that the world will ever know. But the question is, how do we represent it? And uh, toward that end, Pastor Jeff, I'd love as we start to uh, head toward home here in our conversation time-wise, uh, give us some examples of what it means to get this right. Because as I mentioned earlier, oftentimes this becomes a turf war for a lot of people, and you wind up having Christian nationalists against Christian progressives, against Christian brand imagings. And instead of saying, wait a minute, you started by saying, this is Jesus with the disciples saying in John 13, a new commandment I give you, love one another. How do, how do we kind of re, reverse the curse, if you will, of what's happened yeah. here in the culture yeah, right now? Yeah, because what you just described is mission drift. And so, yes, it's getting back. And, and we're told all over the place to be so careful. Like Colossians 4, Paul said, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your engagement be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. To, be, to realize that we are the brand ambassadors collectively and individually. And so the, and the New Testament talks so much about it. I mean, I, and, and, it, and therefore, for me, in the book, it made it easy because I didn't have to make up a bunch of stuff. <laughs> right. Really, it's just, well, what did, what did Jesus say? You know, he said, hey, shine your light in such a way that people see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So it's good works that people can see. And even people who don't know God, they glorify him anyway. Or what Paul said and Peter said, uh, and James said to the churches in pagan areas to to relate in such a way that makes the gospel attractive, that makes people ashamed, that they ever said anything bad about you, that you know, and and so on, and, and that's both collectively and individually everywhere God's placed us. And I, I think starting, you know, you talked about the polarization that has happened. If we just did that, you know, John, you know, Jesus in John 17 said, hey, I don't, I don't pray for the world, even though he came for the world. He said, I pray for those who will come to believe that they may be one as you, as you and I, Father, are one, so that the world will know that you indeed sent me into this world. Hmm. And what he's saying there is, if this one thing happened, if, if the church was a place of diverse unity, not not uniformity, where everybody's the same, and of course they right. get along. But real unity, where people are diverse, they have different political points of view, they have different, you know, that's just not what unites us. We, we're united something bigger. They have different personalities, they come from different cultures and different races and different backgrounds and all that. But instead of polarized, they're actually unified and they love one another and they honor one another and they prefer one another and they listen to each other's perspectives, not just stereotype each other. I mean, if if that's the only thing that happened in a polarized world right now that is so hungry for something different, so tired of the polarization uh, and vitriol, if we just were the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17, I believe we'd win over a skeptical world if that's all we did. You know, there's five chapters about solutions that the New Testament gives, but if we skip all of them and just do that one, um, I, I believe we'd see a massive turning to God just from that. 
You used a word, Pastor Jeff Jones, that I would love for you to kind of expand upon a little bit. I've heard it in some songs recently. Some of the Getty hymns are, are, are incorporating this. And I believe it's a, it's a biblical concept that's been hiding in plain sight. You said, if we as the body of Christ would come together and the political differences don't define us any more than our preferences for sports teams or fast food or, you know, whatever it is, but we would prefer one another. Talk about what you meant by that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a biblical command to prefer one another. And, and even the word submit in the Bible, submit to one another, it's, it's not just about obeying each other. It's actually about setting aside myself and honoring the other person. It's, it's a lot deeper than just doing what somebody wants. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it really is honoring, preferring one another instead of stereotyping each other So, mm-hmm. um, and, and then reacting to each other. And I think a big part of that is just doing what James said, you know, that, that we should be the quickest to listen, the slowest to speak, and the slowest to react in anger. Mm-hmm. And so by preferring one another means I'm so curious about the other, what makes them tick, that I, I'm going to listen until I can answer the question, how are they right? Mm. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and if, I can't, if I can't answer that question, I really haven't listened to them yet. Um, and, 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 what's, and especially when we hear each other's stories, you know, we do in our church these things called Unity Table, where we ask people to, we're a diverse church, ask people to, hey, go to dinner a few times with a group of people that aren't like, we help them get these groups together that don't look like you, and just hear each other's stories and find out what it's like to be them in our culture and listen to each other's perspective. And it's amazing how that breaks down stereotypes and how people actually begin to be like, wow, I had no idea that it was like that for you. Mm. And, And people, all those walls start dissolving and, you know, all of, all of bridges is a wall turned sideways, you know, just it just turns those walls sideways as people sort of connect with each other in an honoring way and an empathetic way. And, and the more that can happen, that, that it shapes us, but it also creates this beautiful community that Jesus envisioned. I, I, I'm going to carry this phrase, and I will quote you uh, often and with great passion, Pastor Jeff Jones, because I, I think it was the, the, the pivot point for me in this conversation about your new book, Rebranding Christianity, and that is the, the fact that you're listening to somebody else who might have a different opinion, and you're hoping that you're going to find the place where they're right, not in a sarcastic or cynical way, but rather how many times do we come in and we're just loaded, ready to say, okay, whatever you got, I can, I can prove you're wrong. I can prove you're wrong. I can prove you're wrong. And when did we become that body of Christ that just says, I look at, you know, other parts of my own body and I, boy, I hope that muscle's atrophying. You know, I hope that wrist is broken, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It seems so counterproductive. And yet um, there is a way that we, I think we can actually live out this biblical command, which is not a request to, to love one another in the body of Christ and let that love define who the church really is. Fascinating resource that I highly recommend from Pastor Jeff Jones and company. The book is called Rebranding Christianity, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way, and some practical solutions on how not we could do this so we can divide and conquer and, you know, get huge tracts of land and money for ourselves, but rather just to live out the call that we have as Christians awaiting our Lord's return. The book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Pastor Jeff Jones, thanks for being with us today to discuss it here on The Bottom Line. Thank you so much, Roger. It's been delightful. 
Great discussion. Very thought-provoking uh, information from Pastor Jeff Jones today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Rebranding Christianity, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a copy of the book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. Again, we're giving away one copy of Pastor Jeff Jones's book called Rebranding Christianity, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, we're going to give you an example of what Christianity's brand problem really means with regard to uh, the culture that we're in right now. And we'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, we have some good news from our friends at Preborn, and that is that we have a match in place that you got to take advantage of right now. I call it the 15 by the 15th campaign. Uh, an anonymous listener uh, who listens to the Bottom Line Show here in Southern California has put up a match for Preborn. Uh, he, this listener has donated $15,000, which is the cost of one uh, ultrasound machine in a preborn clinic and said, hey, I'll put this up as a match. Let's get other bottom line listeners involved to make donations, large or small. And once we get to another 15,000, then we can give the whole amount to preborn and get two uh, ultrasound machines in preborn clinics here in Southern California. So what do you say? We're a couple hundred dollars in on this match. I know there's a bottom line listener right now who can make a $500 or a $1,000 donation, maybe even a $2,500, knowing that it's A, tax deductible, and B, going to be matched dollar for dollar to get another ultrasound machine in that will save babies' lives. Call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or you can make a donation online. It's really easy. When you go to kbrightradio.com or you can go to my website rogermarsh.com and click on the preborn banner there let's save lives through preborn fifteen thousand dollars by the 15th of october we can do this my thanks again to pastor jeff jones for joining me today here on the bottom line his book rebranding christianity when the world's most important brand loses its way is up at the bottomlineshow.com and we do have a copy of this uh, book that we're giving away today 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it's interesting when you talk about branding, another uh, issue, you know, the church does have a branding problem in the sense that everybody's all about the brands. Everybody's all about, you know, wearing the right logo or the right label or whatever. And you're really something if you're wearing the top one and you're really not if you're not. But you know, what, what, where that also extends, and this is kind of where the rebranding Christianity problem has really reared its ugly head, is with the world of politics. A lot of people are concerned about the body of Christ and how it's represented in the world based on the fact that a guy named Donald J. Trump ran for president and millions of Christians voted to support him. Millions of other Christians say, hey, wait a minute, Donald Trump's not representative of us because he's foul-mouthed and he's pushy and he's obnoxious and blah, 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 blah. Others said, hey, he did some really good things for the pro-life community. He represented, you know, for Israel. He, even though he does not personally believe in biblical values, he was really kind of a Cyrus meets Jehu uh, with regard to the way he handled. But it's interesting how far branding can take you. And so many people have, when you look at the brand of what it means to be a Christian, have decided that they've cornered the market on it. And Christianity, I think, really benefited from that in the 1980s and the 1990s. Uh, there's a group of uh, 
pastor, theologian, academic types who've dubbed the name the uh, evangelical industrial complex that uh, speak to the whole issue of the megachurch and the super highfalutin praise and worship team and whatever. The interesting thing about it for me, from those I've been reading about who have identified this, is many of these people who are concerned about it are actually part of it. They just, it's frustrating for them because they see people who are kind of trying to bust paint outside the lines of the complex. And it, it is kind of interesting, but it, it reminded me of something on the cover of, uh, what was it? Was it Newsweek uh, magazine? Uh, years ago, 2010, there was a popular picture. It was the Associated Press who had it, so it could have gone anywhere. Uh, there was a popular photo that went out in 2010, and it featured three young guys who were conservatives, who were Republican, who had just been elected to Congress. And they were kind of the leaders of a new group that called themselves the Tea Party Movement. Now, the Tea Party movement, of course, taken from the name of the Boston Tea Party and the idea that uh, we, the people, would not have taxation without representation and the unjust taxes uh, you know, made, led to the dumping of the tea in Boston Harbor. But, you know, here we, we found ourselves, um, we found ourselves as a nation back in 2008, 2009, reeling from the fact that we had elected a guy who was kind of an avowed socialist to be president and his uh, globalist vice president. And the GOP kind of stood there twiddling their thumbs going, wait, we had George W. Bush, Dick Cheney, that was a good party. The best we could muster was John McCain and Sarah Palin in the 2008 election. We are going to take this nation back and kind of be the fundamentalist right-wing side of the Republican Party. And they were dubbed the Tea Party. And in 2010, guys like uh, in the picture, uh, Eric Cantor was there. You remember him? He kind of disappeared from sight. Uh, Paul Ryan, who uh, was elected in the 2010 and by 2012 was running with Mitt Romney as the uh, part of the let's knock Barack Obama out of office. Didn't win, but Paul Ryan was in Congress for three terms before he was voted Speaker of the House when John Boehner retired. And Paul Ryan, we thought, here's a guy in his 40s, young Catholic guy, et cetera, et cetera. No one paid attention to the fact that Paul Ryan's wife is a Democratic operative, that he straddled the fence, that he really was more of a, I don't want to say wolf in, she wolf in sheep's clothing, but he wasn't the hardcore Republican that a lot of people thought he would be. Uh, Mike Lee was part of that group. Ted Cruz was part of that group in the Senate. But the other guy in the picture, interestingly enough, is Kevin McCarthy from right here in Baco. And when Kevin McCarthy was elected in 2010, by the time the 2022 um, elections took place and the Republicans got the, uh, the gavel back, so to speak, in the House of Representatives, it was a hard-fought battle. And with a very narrow majority, Kevin McCarthy was voted in Speaker of the House. But he had to make some concessions, ironically, with the same kind of fundamentalist. Now they call themselves the Freedom Caucus. But these guys were the ones who said, we're the true conservatives. We're the true Republicans. Wasn't it just 10, 12 years ago that Kevin McCarthy was part of that group? And now he literally is he's not no longer the speaker. And is that the end of the political career of Kevin McCarthy? The reason I bring this up is uh, Ian Ward wrote for Politico, and that's where this uh, story is, see analysis, balance, and clarity. We get different sources as much as we can. Politico is more of a left-leaning publication. But Ian Ward, in his article on Politico, said basically Kevin McCarthy's ouster as the uh, Speaker of the House basically is the end of the Tea Party. And I can't say I disagree with them because here we are now 13 years after these guys came to prominence 
and they really didn't have the manpower. They really didn't put together the kind of mounted effort that super conservative Christians and uh, super conservative GOP wanted. And so basically, you know, the, the idea that we're, we're going to slash government spending, we're going to control the federal power, we're going to stop the policy goals of the, uh, the Democrats. Quite frankly, they didn't really understand what happened to get them there. And here we are now, 13 years after this infamous picture was taken, and you see the GOP just in turmoil. The reason I bring this up, brothers and sisters, is a lot of what's happening in the Republican Party in American politics today is happening in the church in America as well with regard to how we are seen as a body. No one's denying that the church is the body of Christ. There's no question about that. But the question is, look at different denominations, how they spin whatever biblical quote-unquote wisdom they want to spin, and then take it a step further. This is the bigger issue. What does the world see when they see us? Now, I realize that we are, we're here for the audience of one, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will one day stand before God to be judged. But is it worth it for us as Christians to consider the overall brand of the church? And what can we do to spruce up our image? Well, I will agree with that statement that the church does need to be mindful of its brand. The question is, how do we do that? I'll give you a couple of tips. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Last call for Jeff Jones's outstanding book called uh, basically um, Rebranding Christianity, When the World's Most Important Brand Loses Its Way, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Talking about this uh, interesting article uh, Ian Ward of Politico interviewed Feta Skopel, and uh, they were discussing the, um, the, 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 the whole uh, issue of whether or not the Republican Party, Theta uh, is a uh, political scientist at Harvard, has written a lot about the rise of the Tea Party, transformation of the Republican Party, and now saying, you know, with Kevin McCarthy being booted from the uh, dais as far as being Speaker of the House, the third most important part in American politics, by the way, President of the United States and Vice President, those are the one, two in, char in charge. If the president goes down for whatever reason, the vice president takes over as president and the Speaker of the House basically becomes acting vice president. If something were to happen to both the president and vice president, the Speaker of the House would be sworn in as president of the United States. So it's no small feat that during the Tea Party season, both Paul Ryan and Kevin McCarthy, Tea Party leaders, wound up as Speaker of the House. But here's the issue. For us in the church, we look at what happened with the Tea Party. You had a hard right faction that said, we want to cut government spending. We don't want Democrat policies. We're pro-life, et cetera, et cetera. And now that party is gone. And the reason is because the whole party didn't join along. There was no unity in the GOP between the Tea Party and the rest of the party. And this is why I believe as the church, we need to pay attention to our quote unquote brand in the marketplace. But Roger, come on, this is between us and God, right? What does the world care? What does the world care? Well, here's my concern when it comes to the branding aspect. Are we trying to make Christianity more attractive so that we could lure people in? No, we spent 30, 40 years trying to be more seeker sensitive with rock bands and laser lights and all, you know, celebrity pastors. And guess what? 
the American church has less influence now on the culture than it did 40 years ago. But more importantly, those verses from John 13, 34, and 35, where Jesus talks about unity in the body of Christ. It is important that the world sees the true body of Christ, and that's Christians living out our faith the way Christ would have us live it out, but doing so in unity with fellow believers. I can't remember a time when I go on social media, uh, doesn't matter what channel it is, and I look and I see Christians bashing other Christians because of their political views, bashing other Christians because of COVID, bashing other Christians because of economics or whatever the policy is that's in question. I'm not suggesting that we have to just kind of check our brains at the door and not have a thought or an opinion about what's happening in the world. But when you get right down to it, brothers and sisters, what's more important? We have a mandate, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make new disciples for the Republican Party, right? Isn't that the Great Commission? Or make new disciples for the Democrat Party or the Independent Party or the Pro-Life Party or the Peace and Freedom or the Save the Earth Party. You get what I'm getting at here. The name of the game is we have one job as Christians, and that is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I know it's very popular in the vernacular of the day to say, love God, love people. But I'll take it a step further. The reason we right now are having a hard time in the body of Christ as in terms of presenting the gospel message is because we have too many gospel messages going around in what purports to be the body of Christ. May we as Christians take Jesus seriously. We want to show the world that we are friends of God. We show the world that we're friends of God by doing the will of God. We learn to do the will of God by sitting in the laws of God. And we let the Holy Spirit be our guide and force wherever and whenever we go. That is good news, and that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Rabbi Schneider coming up next. For those who remain on the network at Experiment in Denver, Colorado, involving universal basic income. What happens when you take people who are at the poverty level, in many cases they're homeless, and give them $6,500 up front and $500 a month for a year? Well, the results are pretty interesting, and we'll talk about them coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marshall. Welcome to it. If you're just catching this final half hour, remember the Bottom Line Show airs for 90 minutes each and every weekday on our great affiliates, KCB, or excuse me, KNSN, KBRT, KLDC, and then there are shorter versions that air on KLTT here in Denver and then also um, on KCBC. And I, I, I'm grateful for the people, especially in the state of Colorado, who listen to the show who have found us on KLTT and now listen to the full 90 minutes here on uh, the on the network side, either online or on KLDC. Um, I'm really grateful for the chance to be able to share the good news in the ways that we do. Kind of a hybrid, if you will, of a show of uh, there's part teaching and talk in terms of uh, me being a pastor and, and having that kind of background, but then also doing a little bit of uh, commentary and hopefully analysis, what we call these analysis balance and clarity segments based on things that are happening in the culture. Um, when we do analysis, I mean, and if you're new to the program, I want to take you through the ABCs because there's a DEF that goes along with it. We just don't talk about it all that much. Analysis, balance, and clarity gives us, I think, as Christians, the opportunity to at least size up a situation and think biblically about it. And that's hard to do these days because uh, many people, I mean, when you get right down to it, what's, what's driving us as individuals is the fact 
that there are uh, emotions at play, there are politics at play, there are family dynamics at play, and all of those have something to say, to inform, if you will, uh, the way we think and process life. So when we do analysis and balancing clarity, the, that's the goal ultimately is clarity. We do analysis where we find a story and uh, we do as much homework as we can. We don't just read the headlines or whatever, uh, which is, it's easy to do. You see a headline on social media, you're on your phone and the next thing you do, you're commenting on it or sharing it with a friend. And there's always more to the story than just what you see. Then the balance part is you look for different sources that give you different information. And if you go to thebottomlineshow.com, that's thebottomlineshow.com, um, what we post in addition to uh, whatever we broadcast during the air, whether it's me talking or us doing a call-in segment or maybe a special guest being interviewed. In addition to that, if you go dig deep enough on the uh, website, you'll find the source material that we're using for the conversation to start. And I know a lot of people might look at the articles that we have and say, okay, that's one article, so what? But here's the beautiful thing about the modern media world is people curate and aggregate their content. And if you find a decent enough uh, story, what you'll find is that there are certain places where uh, either certain words or phrases are hot keyed, as they say, where, you know, everything's in blueprint, but then you see so or everything's in black print, like it looks like a newspaper. But then as you read down, you'll find something that's in red and it's highlighted and underlined or or maybe it's blue and it's highlighted and underlined. You can click through there and they always have different sources. So like today, the story we're going to do analysis, balance and clarity on. Um, it's from businessinsider.com, but you've got some uh, some other studies that come from different sources that you can click through and read as well. So the, the name of the game is take a few moments, do the analysis, get balanced. And the balance means you're looking at uh, different backgrounds, different sources, not just getting everything from Fox News, not just getting anything from ABC or NBC, but we try to read as many different sites as we can. And hopefully you can do that too. The great thing about it is you will find the consistency in terms of what the story really is better by seeing how it's reported on by different sources. Uh, the news is the news. The stories are the stories. You know, whatever happens, happens. Kevin McCarthy, for example, a couple of weeks ago was ousted as Speaker of the House. That's an undeniable fact. The question then is how is it being reported? You know, what, and, and what do we as Christians make of something like that? I just picked that as one example. And then with analysis and balance, then you get clarity and you find out what the issue really is. It's the reason why this program is called The Bottom Line. If you Google the bottom line, you'll find a lot of places that uh, have radio programs or podcasts called the bottom line. And I guarantee you that 99 out of 100 of them are business programs. It's here's the bottom line on getting good investments. And here's the bottom line on, you know, whatever the market's doing. And I think it's somewhat ironic that uh, our longest running sponsor of the bottom line show is Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services. Dennis was not drawn to the program. He reached out to us, by the way. We had been on the air for about a year, and Dennis called the station one day and said, God told me I need to sponsor this show for a year. And he did. And that first year, was we were kind of finding our way, trying to find which products and services that Dennis would offer that would be a benefit most to our listeners. And at the end of the day, we discovered the CD Alternative, which was brand new. And Dennis's CD Alternatives are amazing, absolutely amazing. My parents have three of them. And they're, they're wonderful products. Um, if you get into the four, I mean, some of them are just basically uh, simple, it, like a certificate of deposit investment. Some of them have a life insurance benefit, like a death benefit that's better than the face value of life insurance. 
Uh, some of them, well, all of them guarantee that you're not going to lose any money. I mean, there is some risk in terms of whether or not you're going to earn a lot in return. But if you put $100,000 into a CD alternative at the end of the year, I guarantee you, you will still have at least $100,000. You won't be paying a ton in fees and things like that, like uh, many brokerage houses will do. And then the fourth dimension as well is long-term care benefits, which many of the CD alternatives have available. And you can't buy long-term care basically anywhere. Uh, it's, it's not being offered. I know some pensioners who have uh, have contacted us and said, hey, I worked for the state 30 years ago. They used to have a long-term care benefit. I got that. But if you are just thinking about retiring now, your greatest, your highest, most expensive uh, financial expenses will be medical care when you're older. And if you find yourself needing to be in an assisted living facility or even skilled nursing, uh, your insurance may not pay for all of that. And having long-term care benefits makes it so much easier because then you don't have to worry as much, if at all, about uh, who's going to pay for that stuff. Because it's not cheap, but it is well worth it. So anyway, Wilson Financial, 800-696-9970. We're going to get into a story about money. And I was thinking about Dennis because um, there's a big crush uh, in uh, in the economy right now on people financially and housing costs are going up because mortgage interest rates are higher. And those, if you're renting, those are being passed on to the renters. And if you're not, um, then you've got, uh, you're just, you're paying it yourself. But there's been a, a big push in recent years for something called UBI or universal basic income. And the universal basic income projects that have been uh, released, I think Stockton, California did one that got a lot of press. It was just $500, no questions asked to people of a certain uh, socioeconomic background. Um, They tried this in Denver recently. And uh, the very catchy title, the Denver Basic Income Project. Now, Denver's a pretty good-sized city, right? One of the top 20 in terms of size in the United States. Well, a headline caught my attention that said, Denver experimented with giving people $1,000 a month. A study found that it reduced homelessness and increased full-time employment. And so I thought to myself, self, let's get into this. Let's do a little analysis, balance, and clarity on this to see if this is a good idea. Because I believe as Christians, we have a responsibility, first and foremost, Scripture's clear, to care for the widow and the orphan or the widow and the fatherless. But we also know, too, that there are people who, you know, I was sick and you, you cared for me. I was in prison, Jesus said. You visited me. Um, it, the, it goes without saying that when we see our brother or sister in need to the point where they wind up without shelter, that we have a moral obligation to at least help them help find this. Not suggesting you just build a bunch of condominiums and let the homeless people live there. That, that, that doesn't solve the, the problem. The problem that led to the homelessness can have a lot of different reasons. But once you get in that situation, the name of the game is to not go back to that situation. It's amazing to me, um, having studied this for maybe a decade or so, a little more closely, the number of people who do wind up in a homeless situation, who have resources available to them, they just don't know about them. There was a uh, ministry uh, years ago here in Southern California uh, called Our Father's Table that uh, really, they were in South Orange County. I think they're still going. And this was a group of people who would work with people who were, as they say, experiencing homelessness. 
And they found out that for many of them, they might have been veterans, for example, and had done a full, you know, what pensionable work in the military. And once they got out, they had a drug or alcohol problem or maybe just some PTSD. And now they were old enough to start receiving their military pension, but they hadn't filed for it. Maybe they qualified for Social Security disability so they could start receiving their Social Security a little earlier and get a little bump on it because of the disability as well. Put the two of those together and all of a sudden now housing becomes affordable. And oftentimes it was just a matter of people who just didn't know and they wind up in a park somewhere going, I don't know what to do. I really honestly don't know what to do. And especially when it comes to men. So here's the thing. I mean, places like California, all up and down the West Coast, you can imagine there are more homeless people on the West Coast than there are in the Midwest or the East Coast. And that's just a simple uh, scientific reality that the weather's better. I mean, I, not to sound sarcastic, but that's just a reality. If the overnight low in Southern California is 65 to 70 and there's no snow and no rain, you're much more likely to be there than you would be in Denver where it's not quite that way. But the Denver Basic Income Project is interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, there was some government uh, infusion of capital, but it also started with one guy who was a businessman who decided his name was Mark Donovan. He's the one who's the founder of and is now the executive director of the Denver Basic Income Project. And he founded it back a couple of years ago when uh, he had made some money off of a clothing company called wooden ships i'd never heard of it but uh, uh, apparently their specialty is sweaters for women and so his investment there has paid off he also invested in this company that uh, really uh, just went nuts during the coronavirus pandemic perhaps you've heard of them they're called tesla he took some of his corporate profits invested in tesla and of course what everybody was pushing for uh, those cars and uh, yeah it, 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 huge so now all of a sudden he's a multi-gazillionaire so he took some of his own money. He was able to get a $2 million contribution from the city of Denver. And he set up the Denver Basic Income Project with the purpose of distributing money and helping get homeless people off the street. Well, the results are in six months into the, well, the first six months of the Denver uh, Basic Income Project. And the, our friends at the Pew Charitable Trust have written that uh, when it comes to homelessness, Two of the biggest problems are mental health and addiction. And yet one of the major consistent things from coast to coast and every city far and wide is homelessness is an area that is driven primarily by housing costs and people who don't have the wherewithal to pay for basic housing. So let's take a look at what's happening with Denver's project. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970. 
800-696-9970 or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this analysis, balance, and clarity segment of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh doing analysis on Denver's Universal Basic Income Program. Uh, the results are in and they look good, but does that mean necessarily we should be pushing this all over the country? Um, the balance part, seeing this from both sides of the aisle, the clarity part, what's really at stake here. And then that leads us to discernment, which leads us to edification and which leads us to fruitfulness as Christians. That's the DEF part we don't always talk about. Maybe we should talk about that more in future broadcasts. Okay, here's how the project in Denver works. They selected 800 people who are homeless. They enrolled them in the basic income program last October. They put them into three different categories. Category number one, group that receives $1,000 a month for a year. No taxes taken out, no questions asked. Here's your $1,000. A second group gets only $50 a month. I'm not sure what the advantage of that is to helping someone who's homeless, but I digress. The third one gets $6,500 in cash up front in a lump sum and then $500 a month for the rest of the year. Now, who do you think had the biggest gains? I don't think you'll be surprised to find out that the people who benefited the most for them were the people who received the $500 a month or the $1,000 a month. The $50 a month program didn't necessarily work. Here's how they measured. There were a few different uh, degrees, if you will, to where they measured the effectiveness. First of all, they asked people who were sleeping outside, once you started getting the money, were you sleeping inside? 6% of the people in the $1,000 a month group were sleeping outside when the initiative began. Six months later, that number was zero. Now, that's interesting because this is a basic income thing. It was designed to stop homelessness. And yet, if there were 100 people in that first group that got $1,000 a month, only six of them were actually homeless. The rest of them were just struggling with poverty issues. Second, the group that received the large lump sum, they gave that to 10% of that group were sleeping outdoors, and that went down to 3%. Now, that's interesting, giving these people, if there were 100 people in this group who were at the poverty level or possibly homeless, 10 of them were, were homeless at the start of the study. They gave them $6,500 up front, which should be enough to get you in an apartment or something, and then or pay off some debt. And then $500 a month from there, that went from 10% to 3%. And then for the people who got $50 a month, um, they basically just kind of moved indoors if they could. Uh, the outdoor sleeping rate declined from 8% to 3%. Now, where were these people going? Many of them were going back to a place that they could call home. As a matter of fact, for the people receiving $1,000 a month, 34% of them said that they were now living in their own home or apartment. A half year earlier in that group, only 8% of them said. So that $1,000 a month was enough to tip the scales to get them back into their own place. That was good. Overall, mental health seemed to improve. Um, the people had, with $50 a month, more stress and anxiety than before. I, I feel badly for those folks because they really, 50 bucks a month isn't going to help anybody. But this is very interesting to see what, um, you know, uh, what happened here? Now, they tried the same thing in San Francisco. 
they only looked at 14 people. They gave them $500 a month. Two thirds of the people were homeless at the start and had then found uh, housing six months later. Santa Fe, New Mexico, they tried it in rural areas of upstate New York, Philadelphia, et cetera, et cetera. Vancouver, British Columbia tried this. They gave $5,600 to a group of 100 people who were experiencing poverty. Housing improved, it reduced homelessness, it increased spending and savings over time, and there was a net savings for the government and for taxpayers by just giving them a lump sum. But the question I think we have to ask then is, okay, well, if this is in fact a good, this is a six-month study, they're hoping that these results will hold up again a year from now, two years from now. But what is the key? What is the key to actually helping this situation? Well, let me throw a couple of caveats out here before we get into the nuts and bolts, okay? First and foremost, there's a desire, I, I can't stress this one enough, there's a desire by the participants to participate in the program. Now, you might think, okay, well, Roger, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? But the reality is, um, the reality is, here's the deal. We've got people who are homeless and a lot of times they say, why do we have a problem with homelessness? And it kind of reminds me of Jesus being out, doing his thing, and people would come up and they'd say, Jesus, you know, uh, I've got an issue with blood. And what would he say? He wouldn't say, okay, let me heal you. He'd ask you, what do you want me to do? And here's the thing. If somebody is experiencing homelessness, they're not living indoors, they can't hold a job, maybe they got some mental health issues, whatever it is, you will not be able to help the person who does not want to be helped. 800 people in Denver had to say, I'm experiencing poverty to the point of homelessness and I want help. And for those who did, nearly 34% of them found that they were getting off the streets, they were back into an apartment, they were paying off debt, they were moving. But it started with the desire for people who said, I want help. So first and foremost, it has to be a program that is appealing to people and we have to be putting our efforts toward helping people who want help. Secondly, it has to be tangible expressions of that help. $50 a month didn't help. $30 a month didn't help. $1,000 a month helped. $6,500 lump sum with additional money every month really helped. There's a third component here though that I think we in the church may be overlooking. And I want to get to that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Preborn is saving lives by doing what the left doesn't want you to know about. Progressives don't want you to know that a baby once conceived in the womb is a human being. And the proof that we have is four-dimensional ultrasound technology that you can get for free at Preborn. The reason Preborn can offer these ultrasound appointments is because people like you make donations and uh, they're tax deductible, and they provide not only the necessary appointments for the expected moms, but also making large donations that will provide ultrasound machines for each of these organizations as well. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. It's really easy to remember. 833-850-BABY, or if you want to do the numbers, it's 833-850-2229. 
Your $28 donation right now will save one baby's life. Uh, $140 donation does five, 280 does 10. You can also give a recurring monthly gift like Lisa and I do, maybe $28 a month or $56 a month, $100 a month, whatever you and God decide. Make your best donation today and please know it's completely tax deductible and every dollar you donate to Preborn goes to the ultrasounds. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229 or go online to kbrightradio.com and click the Preborn banner today. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Fascinating study we've got up at thebottomlineshow.com. It was published at Business Insider and it talked about, I mean, these are the bullet points for taking away. A study found that direct cash assistance reduced homelessness and increased employment in Denver. About 800 homeless Denver residents have been getting monthly payments anywhere from $50 to $1,000 and they reported fewer nights sleeping in the street. Now, here's the thing. This report says it lowered homelessness, and yet of the 800 people who are in the survey, it said here uh, 800 homeless residents, they were 800 people who are living in poverty. The number of people who are homeless in this situation weren't, uh, it was a relatively small percentage. But nonetheless, when you look at the percentages, it's pretty incredible. I mean, here's one statistic that stands out. In the group receiving $1,000 a month, 34% participants said that they lived in their own home or apartment. That's up from 8% six months earlier. These are people who were given $1,000 a month for a year, no questions asked. Among the groups that uh, were, well, all groups combined, who said they were sleeping in shelters, uh, they, that was cut in half. Everybody increased uh, had increased feelings of safety in their current sleeping location, and mental health seemed to improve though there was one group that only got $50 a month and they were actually less, uh, they were more anxious and less hopeful. So the key is having enough money. The key is being able to do something to take care of yourself. But then this is the third part. And the third part is make sure that this program is designed to keep people away from homelessness and poverty. Uh, This was a joint effort by a private citizen and the city of Denver who put a lot of money into it. There were several million dollars that went into this program. And again, they weren't trying to build housing. They weren't trying to guarantee employment. Basically what they did was they said, here is money, here's cash that's not taxed. And the people who received a $6,500 one-time stipend and then $500 a month for the next year reported that they were doing fine. And the people who were just given $1,000 a month At the time, 8% of those people said that they were living at home and the other 92% would spend at least some of their time on the street. Once they got that $1,000 a month, that 8% of people being um, housed, if you will, went to 34%. And they anticipate it'll go even higher in the next six months. Oftentimes, if you see a homeless person on the street, you want to give them a couple of bucks or you want to give them money. But here's the problem with that mentality. As we saw here, uh, the city of Denver gave $50 a month to some people who are homeless, and they said it made it worse. They didn't eat any better. They didn't sleep any better. And actually, their level of anxiety was higher because they knew 50 bucks wasn't going to get them anywhere. For the people who got $6,500 up front and $500 a month, their situation improved. In some cases, they were able to get an apartment because they could pay off rent or pay, prepay rent or pay off some bills. But the people who did the best were the ones who received $1,000 a month for a year. 
And during that time, whereas 8% of the people of the 800 who were in the group uh, reported that they were living at home, not in a shelter, not on the street, 34% found out that they could afford a place to live once they had that, that money. Now, I'm not big on just giving away money to anybody, but please understand something I shared in the last segment that is the key for a program, program like this working. You know what it is? The people who got off of the street were the people who wanted to get off the street. Now, sometimes pe people don't want to get off the street. If you've ever worked with uh, Skid Row residents or whatever, you know it can be very challenging for a variety of reasons. Mental health issues, um, you know, a variety of unstable employment. In this survey in Denver, the number one reason why people said they wound up on the street was housing costs were too expensive. Had nothing to do with their mental health, nothing to do with drug addiction or alcohol use. It said ba basically the results were uh, housing is too expensive, so I can't afford a place to live. So why get a job if I can't afford a place to live? You get the idea. So these are people who are now experiencing better mental health and are feeling safer and could be become more productive members of society. Maybe this is the way that we in the body of Christ can do uh, better and more effective ministry and reach out to people who are experiencing homelessness. You know, you never can tell when something like this will, an opportunity like this will rear its ugly head. Take advantage and find the most effective way to help people alleviate that situation once and for all. That is the good news, and that's the bottom line.